0: Well, welcome back to this, our second episode of Holistic and Holy. Um, <clears throat> Holly has had the slightly odd idea that I should be hosting this episode, which I think is going on a huge risk. It's going to be great. Because, um, you know, you saw last week, she was bubbly and excited, and I definitely missed her. Uh, I do not bring the bubble. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and never mind. the sarcasm. The Britishness. <laughs> Laugh the bubble aside, we are excited to be talking this week about power. Um, and power and youth work and power and church Um, and yeah, I guess the first question is what occurs to you when you hear the word power?
1: Power is likely what a lot of us think something, someone or something that's over you that has great influence um, and that can make uh, waves when that power feels that it's Time to make waves of some kind. So it can, and then that can either be in your favor or very much not in your favor.
0: Yeah, I think I think for a lot of us, we kind of come from that very uh, or this negative idea of power. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the question of power really interesting. Um, I think sometimes we forget power is something that all of us have, mm-hmm. um, and we can have relative more power, or we can have relatively less power. Um, But all of us have it, and I think it's really interesting to think about how we use it. Yeah. um, And how we employ it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can use it for good, and we can use it for bad. Yes. One of the things that was, uh, as I was thinking about how we prepare today, I was thinking of the verse from Deuteronomy, uh, where God says to Israel, look, today I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse, and I think that's a really helpful way of talking about power, that I can use the power that I have in a given circumstance for something that builds people up mm-hmm. or for something that builds, uh, that destroys people and knocks them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the fact that we're talking about this does say that there's possibly a dark side to power. Definitely. Um, I, I don't know if you've maybe got a couple of examples off the top of your head where you've seen power used unhelpfully, especially in the area of youth work.
1: Well, when I was a, I had a summer job for a while where I was a recruiter, and so I would go to all of these different youth camps and, you know, give this whole thing of like, you really want to come to my college, and, you know, I would throw out t-shirts and that kind of, I was like the cool person with the microphone, Um, but I did that for three years, and so in total probably went somewhere between, went to somewhere between 18 to 21 youth camps. And I wouldn't just show up and do my spiel and leave. I would be part of the camp. I was brought on as staff. I'd be a counselor for these teens. I'd be uh, a cabin mom for, you know, the the junior or senior girls or something like that. Most of the time I saw power to be this sort of subtly laid foundation. Creating an atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, an atmosphere that was created to um you know and parameters put in place that so that the the teens present really had no choice but to to go in you know it's like with a i'm sort of thinking of like when you're herding sheep not that i've ever herded a sheep i mean not that i've ever herded sheep <laughs> but i like what i've seen <laughs> on tv well is you know the, the the sheep sort of have no other choice than to go this one direction into into the pen. And if one sheep goes rogue, it's kind of like well, that sheep gets in a lot of trouble because it's off by itself and then there's all this additional work involved, you gotta go get it and put it back. And so I just, yeah, I just felt like the teens didn't have any other choice but to go this way and if they didn't, they were sometimes in trouble or shamed for not sharing. Um, and on the spiritual level of shame,
0: not just a social. Yeah, and it's, it's one of these things that I think it's very easy for people to justify what they're doing when they're doing this, it. because it's all for Jesus, and of course Jesus wants teenagers to become Christians, and um, okay, so what if we're a little bit manipulative with the way the way we do it, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's all got, a, um, all got a better end. You mm-hmm. I, still, like, I don't know if you've seen that terrible English film, Hot Fuzz. Yes. Yeah, it's all for the greater good. Yes. Um, yeah. Um,
1: Are, and then hopefully there's a cornetto involved.
0: It's all for the greater good. The greater good. <laughs> um, yeah, so so you kind of, what you're describing is you've kind of got, one level you've got very authoritarian uses of power, okay. you know, top-down kind of command and the control style of power. Mm-hmm. And that can be something that can become really openly abusive as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of my way or the hard highway. And then on the other hand, and I think you described this as being more common, you've kind of got the way that power flows within a system. Yes. Um, and it's I think these the question of individuals is um, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us might Already be able to see the power kind of things that are working there Um, and especially when you kind of have these situations of individuals going way off the road Um, you know we're recording this the week after the southern baptist convention and the whole debate about um, sexual abuse being covered up there Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we probably have all stories in our heads of someone who went completely power crazy and destroyed the organization they were working for but I think then when it gets to this more systems idea of how, how it works within an environment, um, it's a lot harder for us to see what's going on there. Yes. To see what's going on below the surface.
1: Yeah. Especially if it's a system that's been in place for a long time and you don't really know anything outside of that system. Yeah. Or it just seems that this is the way things are, this is what normal is. Yeah. And so unless you're introduced to something that's outside of that system, there's really no alarms that tend to go off for teenagers because they don't know anything else yeah. than what's been presented. Because it's also likely, also part of their youth group, uh, not only at the, at the camp or the retreat or whatever, but also just in youth group in general. There's, there's some of that floating around there too. Mm-hmm. And so they just go from the normal youth group, you know, sort of power system that's happening on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever, and then just do that on steroids, in these other environments. And, but there's, it's just the way that it is. It's just sort mm-hmm. of a stretch shoulder to move on. This is what it's like to be a teenager in a youth group. So why, you know, question it?
0: Yeah, and I think in this situation, it was really useful to kind of become power literate. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of see not just individuals, but to kind of look at what's going on in the system. Yeah. Um, so power isn't always, it's not just acted out, but it's acted out in a sense because everything else in the system then contributes towards giving that power. Yes. I think maybe the first place to start with the idea of power literacy is just naming what kind of power we might have over teenagers. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, if I'm interacting as a youth leader with a group of teenagers, I might have more situational power in that particular environment because of my life experience. Mm -hmm. I'm probably 15 years older, I've got kids. I might have uh, um, seen stuff or lived through stuff that they haven't, and that gives me a particular power to speak into their lives Mm -hmm. in a way that can be helpful or in a way that can be hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got power in that situation because of my education. Mm -hmm. um, That that which I can bring in terms of intellectual knowledge to a particular situation. Maybe I've got power because of my formal position. You know, if I'm employed by a church or employed by a camp and I'm the leader, of that, that gives me a lot of power. Yeah. Um, I've also got a form of spiritual power. To on some degree, I'm representing God to these teenagers, mm-hmm. um, and all of that means that we're not just meeting when it comes to a group between me and teenagers. It's not just meeting on eye level, um, but there's a very big power dynamic within that. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if you maybe also got things that. I
1: don't don't think I can necessarily Add to that but a a thought that that Did occur to me while you were saying is that Spiritual levels you're you're also talking About time um, Most likely Uh, There have been some cases where you know Maybe uh, someone has Recently Joined God's family And then put immediately into A leadership position Um, But I haven't Come across that too often It's more of I have, it's it's this sort of, uh, unset assumption of, because I've been in Christ's family longer than you, my, there's, you know, I kind of have that,
0: uh... She knows what she's talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah, she knows, she's got to know what she's talking about, because she was baptized when she was 13, and she's been, you know, to church every Sunday, or whatever, and, and, uh, so... You know she has all the answers yeah. or he has all the answers you know whoever and um and then if i have a question or if i have a doubt you know speaking from a teenager's perspective um it seems intimidating or scary potentially to ask the person who has been in christ's family longer because there might be that like that shaming uh answer for doubting in the first place, or for asking such a question, or for not participating in a Bible study, and so on and so forth, and um, I was just thinking of that amount of time that the teenagers might think that not only are they older than me, and they have more experience, life experience than me, they also have more spiritual experience than me, and that plays, uh, I think that plays a pretty big role in it, too.
0: Yeah, and the, the, whole, the whole thing about spiritual, the spiritual representation, that can then very quickly, if you're not careful, become a dynamic that if you say no to me as a leader, mm-hmm. I also then can you can also think, oh, I'm also saying no to God,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can
0: then be very yeah tricky. It's a
1: it's a gross misuse of leadership and representation. So that's kind of the
0: leader. Let's look at the, then, the young people side of this. Mm-hmm. There, there are also. Uh, Not all young people are created, or not all young people have equal access to power. Mm -hmm. So someone might have more or less power as a young person as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take a very obvious example, the teenager who is the uh, son of the senior pastor in a church is going to have more situational power in the youth group Mm -hmm. than the teenager who has come from a single parent household, for example. So, family status, family environments, uh, different education, uh, different life experiences, or lack of life experiences mm-hmm. on the part of young people. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone's had a very uh, turbulent upbringing, someone has a very uh, stable uprunning, they're, they're, those are two very different set of resources to pull upon. Uh, emotional stability, mm-hmm. um, developmental stage, um, also, things like socioeconomic conditions, the amount of stability you have at home because of the number of jobs your mum or dad might be working, um, possibly a life crisis, you know, someone's ill health or um, something like that, or divorced Parents; these all then have an hour working on how that young people, how that young person shows up into the group,
1: mm-hmm. and that, and also the the groups that form. Um, like in my situation when I was growing up, I, not, I went to a youth group that was also on the same uh, campus as the school that I went to. So a lot of us would go from uh, the dynamics that we had in our school into the dynamics that we had in youth group. And so if you were, you know, top dog at school, you were also top dog in youth group. And if you were someone who was at the bottom in school, you were also bottom in youth group. Mm-hmm. And there's I think that um and in but then if you're also coming from a different school, you're trying to, you know, as a teenager you're trying to reconcile the the different power plays being you know, happening, uh, it's like playing chess, coming into youth group and, and not knowing who's safe, you know, should I go this direction, should I go that direction, Is this? am I going to be used incorrectly because, you know, this group seems to have it out for this group, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like everyone's coming to me for like a neutral position, you know, it's... it's, it's, it's
0: And all this kind of dynamic, talks. I think, is often played out on a very subconscious level. Yes. But you kind of suspect um, because of your life experience and your training as someone who works in group facilitation, mm-hmm. um, you are able to name all of those dynamics. But probably for the young person explaining them, it kind of you maybe pick up on them, and you maybe notice, okay. but you can't actually put you can't actually describe to yourself what's right. going on there. Yeah, you don't
1: have you, at that age. You don't have the vocabulary. Well, one, well, you don't have the vocabulary for most things that you're experiencing and trying to find yourself. Articulating to someone uh, as as you you know experience um, trials and tribulations, but yeah. You know, so in addition to that, how are, how are you expected to to articulate what you see happening or what you feel happening in the youth group, mm-hmm. and then what business do you have to articulate it as well?
0: Yeah, and I think in this case is the heart of that idea of power literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, the I don't think anything that we've said in the last 10 minutes is revolutionary in the sense that you kind of... no one I imagine watching this will think oh someone got more power because of their education what? Can't be the case. Um, but I do think that you kind of... no one I imagine watching this will think oh someone got more power because of their education what? Can't be the case. Um, but I do think we often enough stop and name those things and become aware of what's happening underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the first things that we have to do when we're thinking about power in the church is this practice of naming what's going on. Yes. Um, And even in this very artificial way um, at the beginning to learn how to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it sounds a bit weird sometimes when you start doing it. It sounds a bit... Um, kind of stiff to describe what we see going on, but it's only as we begin to put words to it that we can maybe sometimes see the dynamics that are happening in youth work.
1: Mm -hmm. So how do you then, as a, um, I have some ideas of, of how I name what's going on. Um, But that's when I'm doing a group facilitation of, you know, when I'm looking around and seeing okay, well, you know, those two over there are making eye contact or those two over there um, rolled their eyes when this person spoke or this person seems to be sinking a little bit lower. As a group facilitator, you're in part of that training is the Tactful and gentle way to name what's going on in the group, naming the dynamics that are happening, and saying, "I just, I just want to take a brief minute to pause and, and uh, you know, I couldn't help but notice, uh, you know, Katie and Kelly, <laughs> to be distinctly American often um, You know, I couldn't help but notice that uh, when so and so said this, that your whole demeanor changed." And I'm just wondering if if we can talk about that. You know, what was that like for you when they said that? You know, because uh, you're interrupting the power play, but you're doing it in a way that yeah, they'll probably feel a little or a lot embarrassed, but you're bringing to light something that's going on and that's important before it can take root and spread toxicity around the group. Um, but I'm speaking from the, pers- from the perspective of, facilitation. I'm wondering how pastors begin this discussion. Is it a discussion that first starts with those in power, with the leadership teams and saying, look guys, we're illiterate. We're power illiterate. We've got to, we've got to talk about this, define it, see what we're doing, what we can improve. And then do you bring the teenagers in at some point to also talk about power literacy or, you know, how do you view
0: that? I think that to a degree it depends on the context you're in and what kind of history that has been with thinking about these issues. You know, there's probably churches that are very power literate and churches that have all kinds of dysfunction that they're not even aware of. Right. Um, for me, as, as a pastor, it's certainly I think all pastors should be working on this idea of power literacy um, for themselves, you know, not just in youth work, not just in church leadership, but kind of, you know, even on a very basic level of pastoral work in pastoral counselling and things like that. There's whole issues of power there that often uh, don't get seen. And so, um, finding a tool that will help you as an individual to, um, to engage with those issues, mm-hmm. something like family systems theory, for example, um, it can be really useful for uh, kind of working out what's going on and looking at how I show up mm-hmm. um, into a particular situation. What needs am I bringing into a situation that may then reflect how I interact with other people? More broadly within youth work, I definitely think that there should be a culture of giving and receiving feedback mm-hmm. as part of what you're doing in the teams. Yes. So whether that's part of uh, a planning for sort a of session or a debrief after a session or one-on-ones or whatever, um, that this kind of, uh, this giving of uh, of feedback of looking at who, that situation was a bit odd. Did any strike anyone else as odd? I felt that Mm -hmm. such-and-such was at play there. What does everyone else think? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think the more that those kind of conversation could be normalized, the less likely it is that situation then kind of explodes and takes on a very unhealthy dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think the normalizing of those kind of conversations is also good because none of us are gonna be perfect in every situation. Mm-hmm. None of us are always going to hit the right note with our power and yeah. um, the fact that then those conversations are normal means that, oh, it's okay, we misjudged that situation or maybe I should have called out that, that person to respond a bit more or maybe we should have given them a bit more space Kind of allow them to go back again, um, that I can learn from that and that I can improve.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, hearing you talk about that of the the uh, you know coming together and talking about it, and maybe there's a you know lack of a judgment call here and there. You know something that we talk about with our faith is that faith is lifelong. We're lifelong learners when it comes to being part of. of life in general but also part of God's kingdom because our faith is always fluctuating depending on our own life circumstances and I'm just thinking of of pastors who are this year in this unique uh, situation similar to how they were last year um, though in different parts of the world life may not be as uh, challenging polarized. as it was as polarized as it was you know um, but they're in this unique situation where you've got your, your teens coming out of lockdowns. You've got your teens coming out of, uh, you know, uh, distance learning and all of these types of things. And, um, you know, this is just the, just 2020 and 2021. So that's just to say that pastors are also, or pa- not only pastors, but volunteers, ministry workers, anyone who's committed to working with youth in some capacity, that they're not only committed to working with them, but committed to learning constantly. What uh, what is changing within the people they're working with, and what is that ask of their leadership position?
0: I find one of the really effective and simple questions to kind of get at that kind of issue is just asking yourself the question. Um, who's benefiting my serving with this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it something I'm doing for the best of that person, or something I'm doing for the best of me? Um, And it's a question that seems really easy to begin with, but then when you begin to pass out various situations in the church, um, maybe isn't. Mm -hmm. You know, you could take one example, oh, uh, person X is doing something clearly wrong, um, and actually they need to be confronted about that, Mm -hmm. but maybe I don't like the idea of the conflict, or maybe I don't like the idea of putting myself out there. Um, And um, so actually, I don't say anything. And actually, that's serving my best interests; It's keeping me safe from the conflict. Mm -hmm. But it's not serving their best interests, and it's not serving the best interest of the situation that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Um, Or likewise, maybe we can say, oh, I really, um, I've got this super, powerful message planned for tonight, in youth group, and I really, really hope that people are going to respond to it, and so maybe I'll just manipulate a little bit with my words, maybe i have a nice bit of soft music going on, um, because I want people to respond to it, and it's, it sounds very pleasant when you put it like that, but then when you begin to ask the question about whose benefit, is it serving my emotional need to feel that I'm being effective yes. Is it serving my emotional need to have an experience that I can then Talk about, or is it genuinely serving the best needs of those people? And so I think when you begin to ask that kind of question, it's actually it's very revealing of what's going on in our hearts.
1: Yes, yes, and to be honest, I mean that's 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 a direct question of of can I be honest with myself? Am I being? Am I willing to be honest with myself? And whatever is revealed, to look at that. Uh, you know, Deconstruct it, really analyze it, and see what types of things uh, need to change. And hearing you talking, Harry, we're needing to define power. Uh, we're also needing to define response. And I was thinking of, you know, there are going to be, you know, if you're manipulating it, you know, in the way that you said, you pay some soft music. I don't know, everywhere I went, everyone just wanted the lights off. <laughs> in a dark room with the lights off, or you're at a bonfire where obviously the sun is gone. So it was just that the darkness um, provided, uh, you know, that way of of a response because you can't really see you, and it it feels like it's the right time to respond in this incredibly uh, emotional way.
0: I don't think these emotions are necessarily bad in and of themselves. No. You know, if I, if I, if I um, would get a huge high out of everyone responding to my sermon, it's a human emotion. Right. It's fine. What's not okay is allowing that emotion then to be the driving seat of my actions. Yeah. That there needs to be that time for reflection, to noticing what's going on within me, and then asking about, well, is this something that's good or something that's bad? Mm-hmm. Um, not, so not to say that, oh, if you've got that emotion, Something's terribly wrong with you. No, if you've got that intuition, you're just terribly human, Mm -hmm. uh, as we all are. Um, So that's the first thing that I think is important to clarify. The second thing um, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a German dude, um, had this great point about Jesus' responses in the Gospel where he says that, that Jesus actually in the Gospels a lot of the time doesn't seem to be all that interested in the response or that he leaves it open a lot. You know, if mm-hmm. you got the classic case of the parable of the lost son or the parable of the two sons, um, both with the younger son who runs away and then comes back to the party, and with the older son who's been there the whole time and then gets invited to come into the party, mm-hmm. in both of those there's a gap where the response of the son should be. Mm-hmm. Luke doesn't tell us, in either case, whether the son took up that offer or not, yep. um, or with um, the parable of when, uh, or if this, the situation where Jesus heals the ten lepers and only two came back, mm-hmm. and um, Jesus uh, is "Like oh, okay, only two came back," and I think actually Jesus there provides a helpful, uh, helpful model. Yes. Um, in the. We're called to do what we're called to do, but we're not actually called to then decide how the response turns out. Right. Um, I think it's really important, especially with teenagers, to give everyone the option of saying no, like a genuine option of saying no. Yes. So that when a yes comes, and we hope that a yes does come, mm-hmm. that it's one that is uh, given with full heart.
1: Yes. From them, and I'm always reminded. Something I come back to all the time is the the scripture of there, You know, some of us are seed planters, some of us are waterers, none of us are growers. And I think that's something that we have to remind ourselves uh, time and time and time again, uh, especially with the teenagers. Because I think is, and I can understand this now as a parent. Um, You know, my kids are, you know, still very small, but. I can um, imagine, and also working with teenagers and watching people in leadership positions—you uh, know—a teenager say, "Well, I, you know, I only—I'm only here for the snacks. <laughs> I'm only here for the cookies or for the games or whatever." For um, the girls. For the girls. For the guys. You know, I'm—I'm uh, I'm just here for the for the fun parts. That this faith stuff is—it's not really me, you know. And seeing people in leadership. Physically recoil because they can't handle that teenager's very raw confession of like, look, this is why I'm here. I'm just gonna be honest with you. <clears throat> you know, don't you don't have a chance with me, type thing. And there's that like, okay. And then you know, watching their, it's almost like you can see inside their minds. and spin trying to figure out how do we, how do we save this person, how do we get them on track. Well. It's not necessarily our job. We plant We plant seeds where we can, we water when we're called, but the growing is at no point up to us. I think we get confused as to what our role means and we try to force growth. but, and, but you know just like with actual gardening, um, if you walk over water or underwater, you know there's all, there's going to be a negative consequence. Or that that uh for whatever plants plant have come from the ground, you know, there's going to be a negative consequence. And we're seeing that now. You know, time and time again, we're seeing the underwatering and the overwatering and then it results in this in systems and all these other
0: things. Yeah, there's, there's a ton I could say to that. I think we probably need to wrap it up. Yeah. Because uh, people have probably gone and there flossing and stuff to do. Um, I have two final thoughts. The first one is, just to fill up on what you were saying, I think it's really important, uh, coming back to the systems idea of power. One of the best ways, I think, to prevent abuses of power yeah is by empowering young people. Yes. So to teach them about the power of their voice, to teach them about the ability to say no, I am so happy when young people say no to me, mm-hmm. uh, because it means that they've discovered that they've got a voice of their own that yes. they've been used to affect the world. Um, and Supporting to teach them how to her, yeah. use that in a way that, in their turn, builds up in brings life is really important. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I'd say, and this then goes to the full-on Um, abuses of power, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, whatever. Um, I hope that every church watching this has some kind of child protection or some kind of safeguarding policy. Um, If you don't, you need one, uh, call me I will happily advise. Um, I get the impression a lot of the times child protection training or working through the policy or safeguarding training is kind of this uh, this tick box exercise you have to do once a year or once every Mm -hmm. three years or something like that. Um, and, uh, my friend, um, is doing her PhD on, um, or the Theology of Consent and I, she's got a really great phrase about this and she says, no, no, we should rejoice every time it comes to child protection training and every time it comes to safeguarding training yes. because there, the heart of the gospel is is embodied and we should be proud of being able to yes. do child protection and safeguarding training and I think that's an attitude that we really need to see a lot in churches Well, uh, that was the episode, thank you for the the conversation, we hope you've enjoyed yeah. thinking about uh well, mostly power and church. A little bit about farming and gardening tips there thrown in. Um, come for the come for the gardening tips. Stay for the conversation about youth work. Uh, what are we talking about next time? i don't
1: know
0: We don't know. Really, we before. don't
1: know.
0: Well, hopefully we'll think of something uplifting. Yeah. Otherwise, I will be sharing my top ten youth group cooking recipes. Um, yeah. See you next time.